Well, congratulations to the Baylor Bears punching that ticket to a Final Four. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. It is great to be here with you for another week after uh, the Big 12 still overall disappointed, but Baylor did do its job by getting itself to a Final Four as a number one seed in the South region, taking care of Arkansas in the Elite Eight, 81 to 72. You know, we'll talk to Matthew Postens more about the game here coming up in a few minutes, as we always do, uh, to talk Big 12 basketball. But I'll tell you what, the NCAA, a horrible job, horrible job by the NCAA. Starting this game at 10 Eastern, 9 Central on a Monday night. Now, I know the NCAA... You know, this is a uh, different setup here. Usually Sweet 16 games are Thursday, Friday night, and then the Elite Eight games are on Saturday, Sunday. What they did this year, and I believe this is going to stay, by the way, and that is they're going to play the Sweet 16 games on Saturday and Sunday. That way they can space them out and never have overlapping games. And then they'll play the Elite Eight prime time on Monday and Tuesday night. Fine, that's great, whatever you guys want, I guess. But I'll tell you what, 10 Eastern? For Arkansas-Baylor, two teams in the central time zone, you wrap it up the game at, what, 11 o'clock local time? Midnight on the East Coast? Like, uh, boy, these sports leagues, they just suck sometimes. They don't get it. Like, they really don't understand. The way to build a future in your sport is to not play it at night for the short, quick buck, but to find a time when, I don't know, like when your future fans have a, you know, Time to watch it? Is that too much to ask? I mean, like, if you're a Baylor fan or an alum and you've got young kids and your young kids, you know, wear their Baylor green and and yellow and they're all fired up and excited and it's like, oh, sorry, kiddos, it's a school night. The game is uh, starting after the time at which you usually go to bed. What is that all about? Like, how does that work? What's the 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 value there? I don't understand. And the concern about the West Coast is ridiculous. You know, I think it's like two-thirds, if not um, more than that. Like two-thirds of sports fans are in the Eastern time zone. Uh, another, I don't know, a, a fifth or something like that, let's say, or Central. And I'm, I'm off on the numbers here. But the point is this. The West Coast, generally speaking, does not care about sports like the East Coast and the Central time zone does. It's just not as big a part of their culture. Never has been, never will be. Yet we cater all of our live sporting events, and the NCAA did this to a T this week, to make sure the West Coast is taken care of. Why? And I'm not saying, you know, put the game at noon so it's starting at 9 a.m. in Los Angeles, but here's what you do. This is not difficult, all right? Not difficult at all. You start these games at 6.30 Eastern time for the first Elite Eight game. 6.30 Eastern time on a Monday. You play the second game. You want to have a two-and-a-half-hour window? Fine. 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central. And boom, there you go. Even the East Coast, okay, it's late. And if you want to do 6 Eastern and 8.30 Eastern, I would love that. I'm trying to be realistic here on what the options might be. I'm saying 6.30 Eastern, 5.30 Central, 
and then 9 Eastern, 8 Central. But I would prefer 6 Eastern, 5 Central, and then 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central. That's even better. But I don't want to be greedy. But either way, this 10 o'clock Eastern start for an Elite Eight game on a Monday night has got to be the most ridiculous thing the NCAA has decided to do in a long time. And that is saying something in a history, a history of ridiculous ideas, which the NCAA has. And they got more ridiculous ideas, and I'm only saying that word because I don't want to get in trouble with the FCC on the uh, radio show, but they've got more ridiculous ideas than they do decent ideas. And this was just at the top of the list. So I'm sure Baylor fans, you know, you're hungover just from being tired on Tuesday morning, but at least you're going to the uh, Final Four. And for me, you know, I turned that game off pretty early because I was like, uh, you know what? I'm pretty sure this one's good. And as I tweeted out at Pete Mundo, you can follow me there. I tweeted this out. Like with 10 minutes left in the first half, Baylor's up 15. I said, good, NCAA, you deserve this, all right? You deserve this because uh, you guys were so foolish, so absolutely foolish to start this game as late as you did. You deserve a blowout, all right? You deserve nobody to be watching this game in the final 10 minutes. And uh, I'm just, you know, I'm just guessing here, and I'm just spitballing that not a lot of folks did. Haven't seen the ratings yet, but I can't imagine they were very high, especially for that second half. All right, so Baylor going to the Final Four. Congratulations to the Baylor Bears. Uh, On the football side of things, Lincoln Riley uh, did something unusual. Lincoln Riley's usually on the right side of history when it comes to, you know, college football, and he's always ahead of the curve on the field, obviously, especially offensively. I think he's a great guy to have in the Big 12, a great mind for the conference, a great uh, face for OU football. But he screwed this Chandler Morris thing up big time, big time. So Chandler Morris is a quarterback uh, that's been on the OU roster. And after one year, he has requested to be released and transferred to TCU. Well, Lincoln Riley is not happy about that. He said last week about this, quote, I don't believe you ought to be able to transfer in conference and be immediately eligible to play. I think we've got to discourage that. Doesn't mean that you can't choose to go to another school, go to any school you want. So Lincoln Riley was basically saying, if Chandler Morris was leaving the Big 12, I would uh, grant him his release. He'd be eligible immediately. And that's it. Boom, boom, boom. Both sides move on. Away we go. But he's saying because he's transferring in conference, uh, I don't think he should be eligible immediately. Now, Lincoln Riley tried to pull this back in 2019 with Austin Kendall, another quarterback who transferred to West Virginia. Basically, OU backed off on that, and Kendall was the start of that fall. And, oh, by the way, OU blew out West Virginia 52-14 to that season. But uh, Lincoln Riley, I mean, he's doing something that just, it's not right, and it, by the way, makes no sense. So Lincoln Riley thinks it's bad for the sport if players transfer within the conference. Uh, What about coaches? Can we say the same about coaches? If so, we have a bit of a problem there in Norman, Oklahoma, because Oklahoma's offensive line coach, Bill Bendenbaugh, came from West Virginia almost 10 years ago now. Oklahoma's defensive line coach, Calvin Thibodeau, came from Kansas. Oopsie-daisy, whoops. Yeah, about that. I I just don't understand it. I don't. 
This whole notion of a 18-year-old kid who's been on campus for a hot minute is going to take all the deepest, darkest secrets from OU and then go to TCU and be the starting quarterback down there. By the way, as far as we know right now, Max Duggan's the starting quarterback for TCU. Lincoln Riley, excuse, excuse me, um, Gary Patterson has said as much. He's made it very clear that Max Duggan's their starter. I think for a guy like Chandler Morris, he's realizing that, hey, I'm not playing here. We got this dude, Spencer Rattler, who's probably a Heisman favorite. They just brought in another big-time recruit as well. And he's saying, you know what? Um, I'm, I'm good. I'm good, and I should probably go somewhere else if I want to play. Yeah, Caleb Williams, another five-star stud who is now um, going to be at Oklahoma in 2021. So Chandler Morris is like, if I want to play, I should go. He wants to go to TCU. And Lincoln Riley's saying, um, you should be forced to set out a year or you go somewhere else and you can be eligible immediately. It's the wrong move by Lincoln Riley. It looks bad for a guy who I think is great for OU, who I'm a big fan of, who is awesome for the Big 12. Let's make this very clear. It's not personal or anything with Lincoln Riley. I just believe on this issue, he is wrong. Now, the pushback I get from OU fans on this is, well, you know, I mean, OU's going to then be basically training up and coaching up every single quarterback in the Big 12, and they're all going to go somewhere else and try to beat OU. Um, what evidence is that based on? Like, what, what is that based on? Lincoln Riley has taken transfer quarterbacks, and he has made them stars, right? Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. And, yeah, that's all Lincoln. I mean, he's been awesome. Now he's working with Spencer Rattler, who is really his first homegrown guy at OU. And I'm not knocking him for that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. But this, this idea that, oh, boy, here's what's going to happen. Three- and four-star quarterbacks are going to go to OU. They are not going to play. But they're going to learn Lincoln Riley's system and all of Lincoln Riley's secrets. And then what they're going to do is they're going to transfer to Baylor and TCU and Oklahoma State and, and Kansas and Kansas State and West Virginia and Texas Tech. And then they're all going to go beat Lincoln Riley. No, no, they're not. They're not. So can we stop that silliness? All right, just let's, let's stop that, okay? Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Coming up, let's talk Big 12 basketball and the NCAA tournament with our guy, Matthew Postens. He's coming up next. And before we continue, let me tell you about my friends at mybookie.ag, where we've got the Final Four this weekend, and you've got Baylor as a five-and-a-half-point favorite last I saw. They have the second-best odds as just over 3-1 to one to win the national title, and you can get a free sign-up bonus with our promo code, Big one, two. That is big one, two at mybookie.ag. That's our exclusive promo code to get free money in your account ahead of the final four. And who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, what do you got to lose at this point? It's the last major weekend for college basketball. Uh, we do have baseball starting, by the way. And, you know, mybookie.com, they got some pretty cool stuff going on with uh, baseball season here. So be sure to go check them out. Uh, MLB is getting underway. The final four is here. It's a great time of year in many ways. It's the last uh, big hurrah before football starts this fall. MyBookie.com, easy platform. I've been using them for a long time, and they've been a great partner for us. And uh, we always appreciate what they do at HeartlandCollegeSports.com. We 
would love for you to check them out as well. And that's why they're giving you free money for being a listener of this podcast. Just use our promo code BIG12, that is BIG12, at mybookie.ag. Well, the Big 12 team is in the Final Four. It's the Baylor Bears taking care of Arkansas in the Elite Eight, and now it is off to the Final Four. They'll take on the Houston Cougars. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. It's great to be with you as we are each and every week. And we welcome in now Matthew Postens, our Big 12 basketball insider. Uh, Matthew, before we start to the game, NCAA, I mean, these two 10 o'clock Eastern, 9 o'clock Central tip-offs in the late games on weeknights in the Elite Eight. I hated everything about it. Uh, what say you? <laughs> I'm a little tired. Let's just put it that way. But <laughs> neither one of those games ended, up, ended before 11 Central, so that means they don't end before Midnight Eastern, um, I realized the NCAA certainly had to juggle some things, and the Elite Eight usually isn't on a Monday, Tuesday. It's usually on a Saturday, Sunday, but sliding them up half an hour wouldn't hurt anybody's feelings, I don't think. What do you think, Matthew? I mean, I've heard from people who believe that that format of the Sweet 16 games on Saturday, Sunday, Elite Eight, Monday, Tuesday are here to stay, with the idea being they can separate the Sweet 16 games so none of them overlap on Saturday, Sunday, and then you get prime time on Monday, Tuesday. Do you think the NCAA could keep that? I think it's possible. I think they'll look at the TV ratings and, and that'll probably drive a lot of their decision-making. If they, if they think the ratings are justifiable that put those games on Monday, Tuesday, you might start seeing them doing that with the first couple rounds too. I mean, could you imagine a Saturday, Sunday, first round, and then a Monday, Tuesday, second round, it would completely upend the schedule as we know it. But you know, the benefit to that for the players is you'd get a little more time between your conference tournament and your NCAA tournament to prepare. And when you think about Baylor losing to Oklahoma State in the semifinals of the Big 12 tournament, having a week to prepare for the NCAA tournament, I think that ultimately helped them. Yeah. And well, let's talk about this Baylor Bears team, the uh, Big 12 team that is going to the final four and the number one seed overall in the South region as well. So uh, the Arkansas game, they jump out to a huge lead. They basically maintain it the rest of the way. Not a ton of drama in that one. What impressed you most as you look back on uh, the Villanova game where they were down actually at halftime, come back big in the second half. You look at that second half of Villanova through Arkansas. I mean, that's, that's a team that can give Gonzaga a hell of a run, is it not? Yeah, I think so. It's their defense. And, you know, Scott Drew talked about that quite a bit after the game against Arkansas, that, you know, their defense just wasn't there after the COVID pause. They, they kept seeing their defensive ranking drop from an analytics standpoint. They, he mentioned that in the last eight minutes of that Oklahoma state game that, you know, they'd got maybe two or three stops in the last eight minutes. And that really, you know, led to them losing that game. So he said, he didn't want to say it was a good loss, but losing a little bit earlier in the big 12 tournament did help them kind of reset everything. He said they went back to basic so much so that they went back to basic ball handling drills and basic defensive rotation drills just to get them ready for the tournament. And I think you saw the benefit of that in that second half against Villanova and really that first half against Arkansas, where they just came out like they had a fire under them from a defensive standpoint. And for the first 10 minutes of the game, Arkansas just did not know what hit them from a defensive standpoint. They calmed down and settled down and make, made a game out of it. But if Baylor can play defense like that on a sustained level for 40 minutes, and avoid Davion Mitchell getting into foul trouble, they'll give anybody in the Final Four a problem. 
Yeah, well, let's uh, let's look ahead now. They're taking on Houston in this final four, an old Southwest Conference matchup. So people in Texas probably have an extra level of intrigue just because of, uh, you know, the the way that, you know, you can look back and remember some old matchups. You actually wrote a history about this matchup, Matthew, at heartlandcollegesports.com. What is the history around Baylor and Houston basketball? It's one-sided <laughs> in favor yeah. of Houston. Uh Houston actually didn't join the Southwest Conference until the mid-70s. They were actually in the Missouri Valley for a while, and then they were an independent team for about 15 years under Guy V. Lewis. So those Cougars teams from the 60s that went to the Final Four and lost to UCLA, those were actually independents. They weren't part of the Southwest oh. Conference back then. Mm-hmm. So they didn't start, they didn't join the conference till 76. And, and from there, moving forward, it was pretty much Houston's, you know, rivalry. I mean, it was very, very one-sided. I think the the record is 38 and 15, I think, for the Cougars over that span. But what's funny is that since the conference broke up, they've played each other one time. Wow. Back in 2002, uh, Dave Bliss was the head coach at Baylor. Um, the name of the head coach at Houston escapes me at the moment. Uh, both of those teams were not in good shape at that time. So here we are nearly 20 years later, and both of these teams are back in the Final Four. Baylor for the first time since 1950. Houston for the first time since that 84 team with uh, five slamma jamma and Hakeem Olajuwon. What scares you, Matthew, as you look at this Houston team from a Baylor perspective, what should Scott Drew be saying to himself? Geez, you know, this matchup or, or this thing about the Cougars uh, gives me a little bit of uh, anxiety. They match up really well with each other. Um, in some ways they're kind of mirror images of one another. So you, you think to yourself that would be great for Baylor because they don't have to worry about there being like a seven footer inside that they have to contend with. They're the tallest player in Houston starting lineup is six, eight, but because they line up so well with each other and do a lot of the same things, they play the same pace. They try to do the same things on offense that actually makes it a little bit more difficult to scheme. So I think their first focus is going to be on Quentin Grimes, uh, the former Kansas player who transferred to Houston. He's from the Houston area. He's averaging 18 points a game. He's been their best offensive player all season. Uh, He's going to be their primary focus, I think, on defense. And then on the offensive side for Baylor, they just need another start like they had against Arkansas. We talked about the defense. They had a tremendous offensive start against uh, Arkansas, in part because they shot the three well, and in part because they converted turnovers into points right away in that game. So the best way to put a team that resembles what you do on the defensive is to do what you do well force them into mistakes and turn those mistakes into points and build an early lead. Matthew, uh, from the Scott Drew Baylor perspective, I mean, they played relatively flawless the last three halves, as we talked about earlier, but is there something where, you know, if you're Scott Drew and you're saying, okay, we're in the final four, first time in 70 years, uh, we want to win a national championship. Does something have to improve or is it just playing the way they played the last uh, 60 minutes of basketball. I, I think at this point, it's playing the way they're playing. I mean, this is who they are. They're a, they're a high-tempo offensive team that shoots the three well, uh, that, can, that has good depth coming off the bench. They have four different guards that can beat you from three. They have a forward that can beat you from three. Uh, they showed in that Arkansas game that they're capable of driving to the basket at will if you just give them a little bit of a crease. Uh, Davion Mitchell had a field day driving to the basket against Arkansas. So it really is at this point, Baylor just being who they are and that that's who they were before the COVID pause. And Scott Drew knew it was going to take them some time to get back to where they were before. This is as close as they're going to get to being where they were before the COVID pause in that February 2nd game against Texas. That was their last game before they played on February 23rd against Iowa State. 
they've now gotten to the point where I think they resemble the Baylor we remember from a month ago. Just be who you are at this point. You know, it, you know, when you get to the final four, you can't trick things up. You know, unless maybe you're like a UCLA and you're playing a Gonzaga, maybe you've got to do some different things. Baylor doesn't have to do different things against Houston on Saturday to win that game. And I would say they don't have to do very many different things against Gonzaga should they have that opportunity on Monday night. Just be who you are, execute it well, and they're going to have every chance to win. All right, Matthew, final four this weekend. Uh, we got, of course, Baylor-Houston. You have Gonzaga-UCLA. Who is playing for the national title on Monday, and uh, who takes the cake? Yeah, I had Baylor and Gonzaga all along, and I'm going to stick with those two schools. I mean, the way Gonzaga's playing right now is just incredible. They're playing at a – I remember those UNLV teams from the early 90s. Uh, I, I remember watching them play, and this Bulldogs team is – as close to that as I've seen in quite some time, the way they're able to play up tempo, the six guys that they have that can just constantly beat you. They're a great defensive team. They're playing at a high level right now. I mean, whoever plays them, whether it's Houston or Baylor, they're capable of beating Gonzaga. The question is whether they can have a good enough night to do it. I don't see UCLA beating the Bulldogs on Saturday night. So I think it's going to be Baylor and Gonzaga and I had Gonzaga to win the whole thing when I did my bracket to start with. So I'll stick with them as much as I'm sure Baylor fans will hate to hear that. You know, it'll be an interesting game if it's those two teams, because then Baylor for the first time in a long time this season will be in the position of we have to be the team that plays the more perfect game than the team we're playing. And, and that should be an interesting uh, matchup if they're able to play on Monday. It's a matchup we all wanted in December before Gonzaga had its COVID pause. Hopefully we'll get it on Monday night. And that would be the second straight national championship since last year's was obviously not played that a big 12 team will be playing for a title. And uh, obviously that's what we pull for here at heartlandcollegesports.com. Matthew, great to have you on my friend, looking forward to a, a good final four and we'll do it again next week. All right. Thanks. Final thoughts on the show coming up next. Final few minutes on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. It's always great to be with you for another week. And yes, the Final Four takes place this weekend. Also, spring practice getting underway for a couple of teams this week. Let's start with the Iowa State Cyclones, where when you look at this team, the pressure is, is big. And Iowa State fans like that. They should like that. I mean, let's be honest. If you told Iowa State fans when they hired Matt Campbell, they play for a Big 12 championship, and then they go into the next year as probably preseason top 10, which I believe they will, they tell you that you are full of crap. I mean, let's be honest. That's what they would say. They'd say, you're full of crap. Stop pulling my arm. There's no way. Oh, yes, yes, there is a way. There absolutely is a way. And we are seeing it right now. Iowa State is going to be a favorite to get to the Big 12 title. OU will be the favorite in the conference. They deserve to be, having won six straight. But uh, for the first time uh, in a while in the Big 12, you could likely see back-to-back Big 12 championship teams, the same teams two years in a row. I mean, that's that's what you're – I believe at this point, that's what you're going to see. Maybe, maybe a Texas surprises you. Maybe a TCU surprises you. On the outside chance in Oklahoma State. But, you know, it's it's not likely. Not likely. And we haven't had a repeat uh, two teams in a Big 12 championship game since 2007-2008. That's when Oklahoma and Missouri played each other in back-to-back years. 
and OU won both of those games convincingly. Since the Big 12 championship game got restarted in 2017, it's been OU-TCU, OU-Texas, OU-Baylor, OU-Iowa State, and Oklahoma's won every single game. But for Iowa State, you know, they're getting ready for a spring practice where they go from being the hunter to the hunted. I mean, outside of OU, they are going to be the hunted. And it does take a different mindset there. And, uh, you know, you don't learn a lot about that in spring, obviously. We'll learn more of that in the fall. But I I do want to, and I'm curious to see and hear from uh, Matt Campbell and how his guys are handling that during spring practice. Are they resting on their laurels from 2018, or excuse me, from 2020, where they get to a Big 12 title game, where they win the Fiesta Bowl, or are they saying, no, 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 uh, we have not accomplished what we want to accomplish? I believe it's the latter. I mean, you know, Brees Hall, that guy was fired up for the 2021 season the day the 2020 season ended. He was like, no, I, we, we, got, we got things to do. We got goals here. So I, I believe it's the latter, but I'm still very intrigued to see just where that mindset is at for Iowa State. I also want to know what exactly is going on at wide receiver. There's no doubt. I mean, tight end, plenty of talent there, right? But at wide receiver, who's going to emerge behind Xavier Hutchinson? Who's that second option? Is it Sean Shaw? Is it Joe Skates? Is it Tariq Milton? I'd like there to be a little more depth there for Brock Purdy going into 2021. And that's to me in terms of, you know, on the field, that's that's the biggest question I would say. Uh, right now, just kind of knowing this team and looking at this team, that's that's my big thing. Does Brock Purdy feel like he's got a couple of solid options at wide receiver? Because remember, early last year, uh, if you go back in that, I mean, geez, horrible game that they lost uh, in the opener, which really was the difference there and maybe competing for a college football playoff spot not. Louisiana Lafayette, of course. You go back on that game and you say to yourself, Brock Purdy didn't seem comfortable because he didn't have many guys to get the ball to, right? Chase Allen played in that game, but remember, Charlie Kohler did not. So I'd like to see a couple more options there at wideout for Brock Purdy. The other team that's getting underway the Kansas Jayhawks, yes, without a head coach, but they're getting underway. And I'd like to see what's going on at quarterback. Do we see big growth from Jalen Daniels, who played last year as a true freshman? I can't. I mean, I feel like I've seen enough of Thomas McVitie and Miles Kendrick. They got Jason Bean, the North Texas transfer, coming in here over the summer, so that should be good. But uh, what's going on there at quarterback? Is Jalen Daniels a guy where you say to yourself, I, I can see him. I can see him, you know, being that guy to win you a few games in the Big 12, or is it just like, uh, I hope Jason Bean works out. And by the way, uh, before we get to more around KU, got to give this uh, interim head coach Emmett Jones credit. He lands this dude, Jason Bean, North Texas quarterback transfer, solid player last year for the Mean Green, and he does it without a head coach. Now, this guy, uh, Emmett Jones, is basically the guy that recruited uh, a lot of the best players in this class of 2021. Best best class the program signed in 10 years. And Emmett Jones is responsible for seven of those guys who came out of Texas. I don't know who gets the head coaching job, but I'll tell you right now, Jason, uh, not Jason Bean, but Emmett Jones deserves to be a guy who stays with this program and should get consideration, not for necessarily the top job, although it would be intriguing, right? It'd be, it'd be outside the box to say, this dude knows this program. He's recruiting well. If we believe he's a leader of men, uh, what the hell? 
I mean, we, we've tried every other option here at Kansas. Why not just go total wild card, total rogue, and give Emmett Jones a shot? I'm not saying you do it, but it's an intriguing idea. Uh, but regardless, he deserves to stay in the building. All right. Now, also, it's just the whole offense in general. I mean, what does it look like? What does it look like? How is it different? Les Miles was never an offensive guy, but boy, there's been a lot of changes there, obviously. Les Miles is not there. And then you just wonder, what does it look like without a head coach? Like, it's so weird. You've got a super young team. A lot of true freshmen played last year. you got young guys in camp. What does it look like with an interim head coach and all these young players? I don't know. I have no idea, but it'll be very interesting to watch these Kansas Jayhawks uh, just, just to see kind of where they're at mentally, nothing else. So there you go with those two teams starting spring ball this week. I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports Weekly is the show. HeartlandCollegeSports.com is the site. It's always good to be with you guys as we uh, have another week in the books. And leave us a rating and a review on this show because we've got a free Heartland College Sports koozie when you do that. Just send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at HeartlandCollegeSports.com. We'll get the koozie in the mail for you guys. And always remember our friends at mybookie.ag and our promo code BIG12. That's BIG12 as you get ready for, yes, what is going to be a fun final four weekend. Go Bears. We'll talk to you soon.